This is Jeff Wayne, and you're listening to Sheffield Live, 93.2 FM. We're open for Business Live. Good morning. It's just after nine o'clock. It's Friday. It's the 13th of March, 2020. I'm Jamie Veach. You're listening to Sheffield Live's weekly business and social enterprise programme, Business Live. We're talking with Professor Ian Rotherham today, and we'll be talking about flood risk resilience and measures to improve resilience in the face of flooding. Before we do, what's going on in business? What's going on in social enterprise? Well, it was the budget this week, and um, many, many measures were announced. What measures were announced and how will uh, they affect you? Well, of course, this was a coronavirus budget with measures to bridge, in the Chancellor's words, the economy over any potential instability caused by the virus and and the will and already is instability. And um, there was uh, a lot of discussion about uh, about this. So as far as coronavirus measures are concerned, statutory sick pay is going to be extended. Um, So its eligibility will include any individual unable to work due to the need to self-isolate and people caring for those in the same household who display symptoms. Now, for any business with under 250 employees, the government will cover the full cost of this for up to 14 days per employee. Important to know that. A £500 million hardship fund has been created, and this is going to be directed to local authorities, local authorities in England, to support economically vulnerable people and households affected by coronavirus and COVID-19. Now, we understand at the moment that that is most likely to be used to um, provide council tax rebates, although the full details haven't been revealed yet. Business rate relief was discussed in the budget on Wednesday extensively. It's going to be extended for retail businesses to 50% in 2020 to 2021. And small business rate relief is increased from 50% to 100% uh, small business rate relief. And pubs that have a rateable value lower than £100,000 are going to get a one-off discount on their business rates. There's also a small business grant fund for all businesses eligible for small business rate relief. They'll be able to get £3,000. And um, a new coronavirus business interruption loan scheme. This, through this, the government is going to uh, provide loan guarantees of up to 80% to banks to enable them to give businesses short-term bridging loans to cope with instability caused by the virus. So those are um, specific coronavirus-related measures announced in the budget. Aside from that, there are other measures that... Um, are relevant to businesses and social enterprises listening to the show, of course. The national living wage is to be increased to and will reach £10.50 by 2024. It's £8.72 at the moment. Uh, a full review of business rate relief has been announced to report this autumn. Businesses which employ veterans from, um, from the armed forces are going to be given a national insurance holiday. Packaging taxes were announced, a uh, plastic packaging tax charged at £200 per tonne of plastic packaging um, if uh, that packaging includes less than 30% of recycled plastic. The startup loans scheme is going to be increased with 130 million additional capital 
for startup loans. And the British Business Bank is going to be given an increase of £200 million in its funding to help businesses, existing businesses, to scale up. The Entrepreneur's Tax Relief uh, was uh, reduced in terms of its lifetime threshold, which is currently £10 million. It's reduced to a million pounds after significant lobbying from um, some organisations, including the Federation for Small Businesses. Now, that has been described as a tax relief that really, really benefits the already very, very wealthy. Um, but there was significant argument against uh, abolishing it altogether from the FSB. So it's been reduced from £10 million to £1 million. VAT on tampons and sanitary products has been abolished. That won't come in immediately. I think that comes in in January next year. Um, And uh, fuel duty has been frozen for 2020 to 2021. Now, listening to the Chancellor's speech on Wednesday, he made the point that that isn't necessarily the greenest thing to do. But there were green measures announced in the economy as uh, in the uh, budget as well. Uh, So a carbon capture scheme and various other green measures as well. So what do you think of the budget? Uh, Do you think it's uh, positive for the UK's economy, positive for business, positive for social enterprise? Do you think it's positive for people? Um, let me know what you think. You're always welcome to get in touch with the show and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Somewhat overshadowed over the last couple of weeks has been flooding. We had um, enormous flooding across uh, many parts of England and Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland too um, in February with a significant impact on communities, a really, really dreadful impact on people in their homes and on businesses and uh, community facilities as well. And of course, many are still underwater or still soaked or drenched or or recovering. And South Yorkshire Community Foundation there, they've um, done sterling efforts to get funding and, and money to people affected by the floods. But lots and lots of people have talked about flooding resilience and how we might be able to improve flooding resilience, not only through physical infrastructure, uh, important as that is, but also through natural flood management and um, a better way of looking after our rivers and our, our water. And someone who has a lot to say about that is Professor Ian Rotherham of Sheffield Hallam University. And I met with Ian at an event in Newark in February, organised by the Trent Rivers Trust. And that brought together a number of people from all over the country who've been involved in pilot projects to look at an integrated flood risk management approach. And that means bringing together physical hard flood barriers together with what's called natural flood management approaches, which can significantly reduce the impact of additional water and boost resilience. We'll hear from Professor Ian Rotherham now. This is Sheffield Live. We're open for Business Live. Ian, thanks so much for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about you and your interest in flooding and water and rewilding. How did it all come about? (laughs) Right, well, I grew up in Sheffield. I went to King Edward's Grammar School in Sheffield. Uh, Went away for a bit, came back. 
Um, and then I stayed ever since, set up the city's ecology service back in the 1980s uh, and developed an interest in landscape change, the history of how we've used the landscape. And for me, discovered uh, that historians have been working on these areas of Fenland that were in the 1600s, literally hundreds of square miles in the northern Fen. It was like between... Um, two and three thousand square miles of wetlands still intact in 1600. Southern Fen, probably three to four square thousand miles. And that was just the lowlands. That's before you move on to the Piedmore. So I was absolutely amazed by that. And then I also got interest in the history of flooding, as far as we can document it, which is about 11, 1200. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking at the history. And one of the weird things that is you get flooded again and again. So we had the Sheffield Great Flood, 1864, famous reservoir collapse. Um, And I remember when I was at university telling my colleagues at university, as an undergraduate, this this is Britain's worst ever flood. And of course, Sheffield is famous for saying, whatever it is, good or bad, we're the best at it. And they said, oh, come on in, you can't have, you know, it can't. Something about 180 people died and all these animals. So I got an interest in the history of water, history of flooding. Home Firth, you get the Great Flood of Home Firth. Yes. Then about 100 years later, you get the Great Flood of Home Firth. Then another 100 years later, it's, no, it's the big flood of Home Firth. And everywhere you go, we get flooded again. And some quite uh, eminent writers in the 70s had written about how the track back uh, flooding in East England, and it happens again and again and again, often in the same place, and each century there's maybe two to three catastrophic events, but every time it happens, we're always surprised. <laughs> which has kind of got me onto this thing thinking about this. And then, of course, what's happening now is that with climate change, biodiversity extinction, intensive land use, et cetera, et cetera, we're actually up in the ante. The, the, what I call the rules of engagement with nature have changed. So these things happened maybe every century, a catastrophic flood. Well, now they're happening every few years. And the thing which the experts don't like me saying about, because we, we talk about return periods. So you say, oh, Sheffield, it was a one in 500... And then people think, oh, well, it's going to be 499 years before it's going to happen again. No, you've just had a 1 in 500. You have to recalibrate the system. That's now 1 in 200. Yes. And nobody wants to accept that. And politicians certainly don't want to hear that. And then the other thing, that is based on the landscape being constant. So you're looking at a catchment. You're looking at a return period. You're looking at the likelihood of a catastrophic event given the weather conditions, ambience at the time. Well... We are changing the climate. We're getting more extreme weather more frequently. Extreme weather is becoming commonplace, and it's becoming more extreme. So this is not a constant equation. And then in the catchment, we've done this thing where we've, we've basically destroyed the peat bogs on the high ground. We've drained, we've burnt, we've polluted, we've removed the sphagnum, and then on the heather, we've overgrazed it with sheep, incredibly high numbers of sheep, in the 1970s, 1980s. So now the water runs straight off there where it should be held and should be percolating into the groundwater. And flooding and drought, of course, the flip sides of the same coin, which people don't usually realise. And then below the peat bog, we've raised farming up the hill through a process called enclosures, and all that land is itself drained, and all the streams below that are then straightened, canalised, and often culverted. And every bit of floodplain that's been being reclaimed from the old meandering watercourse is then either intensively farmed or it's built on. You can see where this is going. Indeed. And then the water rushes down through that catchment all the 
way down, and then it gets through the Don Valley Gorge near Conisborough and that area, and it comes out into what would have been this huge inland sea. In winter, 100 square miles of, of floodland. And of course, what you've got now is the canalised River Don and a number of channels, and everything is intensive. And then we're building these huge warehouses. I can't believe, I mean, some of these you can be driving past for five minutes almost. Um, and most of those have no um, sort of compensation, if you like. There's a few little bits where they're obviously holding water, little wetlands. But there seems to be no green roofs, there seems to be no water harvesting. And in terms of climate change, I, I'm, I must take this up with politicians because why are we not building in as a compulsory thing? It wouldn't cost us anything that every one of those big warehouses has a battery of solar panels. So this is a specific intervention that businesses who want to do something could do at point of build and that politicians could, if they wanted to regulate, could require them to do. Absolutely, it would be very easy and it would actually make money because local people would be employed in doing this. Now, obviously, retrofitting is more difficult, but it is possible. Yes. Again, that triggers possibilities of application of new technologies, development of skills and new jobs. And part of my role at Hallam University, I do environmental things, I do environmental history, I do things like flooding risk and flood history. However, I also do regional economic development. Yes. So the bottom line is I'm really interested in how we use environmental issues to trigger economic growth to the betterment of local people. Now, when you get a flood damage, as we've heard at the conference, you actually put local businesses out, in some cases, for months, years even. The cost of that is horrendous. The trauma to people which we heard about you know, the, the post-traumatic stress disorder, um, it's horrible. And we need to turn the negatives into positives. We need to create jobs in ameliorating these things. We need to be what I call water positive. Every development, even if it's not on the floodplain, all the developments around the floodplain is where the water comes from. You, you, you believe and you stressed in the, at the conference that we've attended that every development must and should be water positive. Yeah, yeah, it should be contributing. And that's a business opportunity. This isn't me saying, oh, this is what I expect. The government must do this. Oh, the public's going to have to pay for this. We actually pay for the damage anyway because every time a flood incident happens, it's, most of it's paid for by the taxpayer who is also paying insurance. So even if you aren't affected, I mean, one of the issues for people affected is, yes, they can get insurance. They can't afford to get insurance, really. I'm talking Fish Lake, and it is horrible. And after the 2007 flood, some people didn't get insurance again because it's too expensive, and they've been hit again. And so, we, you know, there are opportunities there. If we don't take it, we are paying anyway. We pay through our taxes to the Environment Agency, who are horribly under-resourced, but we also pay through our insurance premiums because everybody's insurance premium goes up. The insurance, insurance companies don't lose out. So the clarion call here is that businesses can actually take action now to be more resilient, and actually, by doing so, they will benefit. Absolutely. It's even more than that. It's not that they can, it's that they have to. And politicians need to wake up to this. They need to take action. They need to support these people. They need to support the key people in the regional agencies and in local government. And again, local government has been cut to the core in many cases. And we need good, experienced staff. We need good visions at that local level, connecting to local people, connecting to local businesses. It has to be done. 
Ian, thanks so much for joining us today. That's been fascinating. Where can people find out more about you? They can go on to my website, which is uh, UK Econet, www.ukeconet.org. <laughs> Brilliant. Professor Ian Rotherham, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This is Sheffield Live. We're open for business life. This is indeed Sheffield Live and our weekly business and social enterprise programme. We were talking about the budget earlier on and we mentioned a number of uh, changes um, and announcements that were made within the budget this Wednesday, which will affect businesses and social enterprises. Uh, A couple of others that we haven't yet uh, mentioned. Um, E-publications, so digital versions of books and newspaper subscriptions. VAT is currently charged. So if you go and buy a book, a physical hard copy book, no VAT on that. But if you buy a um, the same book, exactly the same book through Amazon or wherever you get e-books from, then VAT is levied on that. So the Chancellor announced that VAT will be removed on all sorts of e-publications, whether those are books, whether those are newspaper subscriptions, um, scientific journals, and so on. VAT is to be removed from e-publications, be set at 0%, technically, um, the rate from the 1st of December this year. So that's a um, that's change, and of course that, um, um, that will have an impact on uh, businesses uh, and listeners what else a cultural investment fund was announced a 250 million pound fund for culture heritage neighborhood libraries um, and local museums at least 90 million pounds worth of that is earmarked for outside of london and um, a 500 million pound fund to build new youth centers um, and refurbish existing facilities was announced Uh, For cinemas and for music venues, the um, retail rate relief discount um, is going to be extended. So business um, retail rate relief didn't apply to cinemas and music venues. It will be extended to them. Uh, They are clearly going to um, experience significant impact from uh, measures to reduce public gatherings as a result of the coronavirus, hence that announcement. Um, what else? The National Insurance um, Allowance is going to be um, increased and um, National Insurance Threshold is going to be uh, increased as well. A few things there. Again, we welcome your views. We welcome your comments. You're welcome to get in touch and to... Uh, let us know what you think of the announcements in the budget. Um, Peter Holbrook and Andrew O'Brien at Social Enterprise UK, the organisation which uh, advocates for and represents social enterprises in the UK, have said that uh, for social enterprises, the next four years are not going to be easy, um, quite apart from the short-term pressure of COVID-19, coronavirus. Um, trading will remain competitive and tough, they say. Um, is that the case for you, do you think, if you run a social enterprise? What do you, uh, what's your view on that? And the FSB, the Federation for Small Businesses, have uh, got in touch. Um, they... Um, They uh, said that um, increasing the discount on national insurance contributions that small firms can receive through the employment allowance from £3,000 to £4,000 
um, and introducing a 14-day statutory sick pay rebate for small firms for those unable to work because of coronavirus is uh, welcome. Um, their national chairman, Mike Cherry, said that um, those measures um, and, of course, the interest rate reduction that was unveiled by the Bank of England on Wednesday should go some way to re-inject optimism in the small business community, he said. Um, and he said that expanding access to statutory sick pay for those impacted by the coronavirus is the right thing to do. Um, and making that access affordable for small businesses. He also said we're already seeing supply chains disrupted and footfall hurt due to the spread of coronavirus. He um, um, So he welcomed the commitment to making small business finance available. Um, but he said it's critical that that increases the availability and affordability of borrowing for small firms. And he did welcome the introduction of a national insurance holiday for small employers that hire ex-forces personnel. That, he said, will go far to helping to fill skills gaps and bringing new perspectives into workplaces. But he thought that that holiday could and should be extended to those businesses, small businesses who employ long-term unemployed people and those businesses that employ those with disabilities or with mental health conditions. So that was, uh, that was a comment from Mike Cherry at the Federation for Small Businesses. That's it for today's show. We will be back on air next Friday. We'll be bringing you a fascinating, I know it's going to be fascinating, interview with David Taylor, arts innovator and founder of Yorkshire Young Symphonia, and uh, much more too. So do tune in next Friday for that and enjoy the show then. But don't go away now, because next up on Sheffield Live is our fantastic folk music programme. Thank goodness it's folk. From 10 all the way through to noon so i hope you will really really enjoy that um and uh, thanks ever so much for listening today to the program let's have a bit of sister sparrow and the dirty birds to finish off um thanks for listening thanks sangeeta here in the studio our sound engineer we'll be back on air next friday this is sheffield live we're open for business live